Hi, this is Jesse, and I am the editor of Angelic Magazine. On this podcast, I am joined by guest co-host Sadie Such. Sadie and I, we interview Chris and Beth Bruno from Story Restored. Story Restored is a counseling center in Fort Collins, Colorado. And on the podcast, we discuss the themes, social distancing, how to handle isolation, as well as many other topics. Sadie and I, we were really blessed by the wisdom and insight Chris and Beth shared with us, and I fully believe that you will be blessed by what they have to say as well. We would love to hear what your heart is kind of for what you guys do. And then if you want to kind of bleed into like how any recommendations that you have for people kind of in this time, but really we'd just love to hear your heart of what you guys do. Okay, great. All right. Is that the, that's the kickoff question. <laughs> yes. Kickoff. I can be more specific if you guys would like, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> what do you guys do and why do you do it? <laughs> start? Yeah, so we, uh, we're Chris and Beth Bruno, and we're here in Colorado, and we founded a counseling center uh, called Restoration Counseling. And the heart behind Restoration Counseling is that um, we don't want to just give kind of counseling tips and techniques or stay on the level of advice. We want to make sure that we are diving deeper into the level of story so that we can discover two things. The first is, where is God at work and who did he actually make us to be in his original design for us? And then secondly, how has evil been at work to destroy that very image uh, of, of who God made us to be so that we can come back to come back to our true and actual selves. So that's really the heart behind what we do at Restoration Counseling. We started about 10 years ago, and the desire back then was to be a ministry-hearted business because we ourselves had been in full-time ministry for a decade prior to starting the Counseling Center. And so because of our background, because of our heart, we ended up attracting a lot of people who themselves were pastors or in full-time ministry. And that's been a large percentage of our client load for the last 10 years. And just last year began to realize so many of those leaders are walking with people and actually doing a lot of counseling without the degree. Uh, we're here, we were hearing things like, I went to grad school, seminary, and I had one class on pastoral counseling. I am not prepared for this. Or I went to a seminar or a conference and I took one breakout session on this and they're overwhelmed. And so last year we started something called Restory Labs um, and a podcast as well called The Walking With Podcast, just designed to equip those leaders who are on the front lines of ministry doing a lot of counseling without that education and training. And so that's another kind of side of what we're doing. And um, our heart is just to really serve those who are in full-time ministry as well. That's awesome. So I have a question. So if you can be a little specific on how you both are handling things now and maybe any questions people have come to you about social distancing, whether it's, you don't have to give names, but maybe clients or either like pastors but maybe sought you out for wisdom. Like, what, what are your thoughts just about the COVID-19 and how everyone, like literally everyone is being impacted by this social distancing? What are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found, um, I found people coming from two major ends of the spectrum and then everything in between. So one of the ends of the spectrum is this is, why is this such a big deal? Why are we making such a big deal of this? It's just like the flu. 
I want to just carry on with my life, right? And then on the way other end of the spectrum, it's like I am collapsing. I am so fearful and anxious and concerned and and isolated, right? That I I don't even have. I, I'm just collapsing. And then everything in between is, you know, there's increased levels of anxiety and fear and and confusion at at all various levels. So people are coming to us. Pastors are coming to us saying, what what do I do? How can I actually lead? A congregation of people, uh, a group of people, when I can't even get together with them, how do I take care of them? How am I mindful of them in their isolated homes, and yet we are still a community? Uh, and then, you know, what are some ways that we can uh, care without being over the top, or you know, uh, offering too many things and not too low in offering too few things, right? That is just really, there's no, there's no playbook for this. There's no, there, we don't know what to do. And so a lot of pastors are just asking like, what, what are ways that we can engage? I would say too, that people are um, confused by themselves, that by their own reaction. Yeah. Um, why am I feeling so emotionally thin and stretched? Actually, my routine is simplified. My life just got much smaller why am I feeling so tired or so quick to cry? Um, and so they're surprised by themselves, by their own reaction. And um, for example, a woman reached out to me this week and said, you know, I had all these plans to do all these things with intentional parenting right now in this season. And I thought, this is great. I'll have all of this extra time to put those into place. But why am I not motivated? Why am I having such a hard time, like just working through the fog to get to that? Um, and she was down on herself and felt, I mean, she was shaming herself. And I just said, you know, we're not giving ourselves enough um, leeway here that we are all in trauma right now. This is a traumatic, a globally traumatic experience that we are each walking through. And when our bodies feel trauma, they go back to the last time they felt trauma. And I think that's one of the, 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 if we could talk about a theme that we would really like to communicate to your listeners, it would be diving a little bit more into that. You know, when you think about a person's life and their story, it's not ever a single moment in time, right? The chapter that you're living now is informed by all the chapters you have already lived. And the age you are now is a conglomeration of all the ages you have ever lived. And so this, where we are and how we're engaging the coronavirus trauma right now, both nationally and globally, as well as personally, it's informed by the, the previous stories of trauma, the previous stories of isolation, the previous stories of pain and suffering that, that you might have uh, experienced that get brought back up. It's almost like someone is, um, you know, trying to sweep something off the bottom of a lake. And when you try to do that, it just stirs up a bunch of mud. And then you wonder why you have murky water. Uh, that I think is happening. And people are like, I, I didn't know that this was stirring stuff up, up off the bottom of the lake. But I know that I have murky water right now. What do I do with that? So I think to, to be aware that your current reaction is informed by the previous things that are that have happened in your life and to attend to those places in your past so that you can be present to your, your current present life. So how do we do that? How, how do we tend to those things? Cause obviously there are things that aren't maybe, maybe they're either tucked under the rug or people just don't know how to deal with them. So how in this midst of like 
I imagine people aren't going and seeing counselors or therapists during this time. And so in that isolation, how do we fix what was broken in a sense? Well, really quickly, I will say that that's not the case. A lot okay. of um, most, I mean, our entire team has gone virtual Okay. And a lot of state regulations have been lifted upon the mental health community to be able to provide telehealth and virtual counseling without all of the, the barriers. So that is still a possibility, even for people who want to start um, from scratch right now. So just wanted to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. If I could say maybe just the first thing um, is becoming more aware of of ourselves, more vigilant um, to our reactions and responses. Um, so I'll just say personally, when when our state first started issuing all of the, the closures and our world started shrinking, I found myself feeling extremely nostalgic, um, wanting to watch these old TV shows that we found on some you know app that we had and getting excited to show our kids the Jeffersons and um, what was another one? Good times, right? From the seventies, from when I was a little girl. And I, I didn't understand where that was coming from. And I was throwing it out to different friends online and we were all collectively experiencing this sense of nostalgia. And so it was pausing in that and allowing enough space to, to consider out of curiosity, what is that all about? That's not random. What is happening inside that I have a desire um, to to be childlike again? I am overwhelmed as a parent, as a business owner, as a ministry leader right now. I am freaking out, and I would love to be parented. Mm -hmm. I would love to have someone bigger and stronger in the room to just be a mom, be a dad, just hold me. But I'm having to do all of that holding and containing. And so my emotional insides are, are going back to when I was held and contained. Mm-hmm. And and that's not trauma. That's just basic, right? We all mm-hmm. have these layers of story that reflect who we are. So I would say just the, the first thing of how we do that is to become more aware mm-hmm. and to pause with curiosity and ask more questions ab- around that. And I think... A third part of that then is after being aware and curious is to is to come back to yourself with some level of kindness, mm-hmm. that it is actually the kindness of God that leads us into places of change and movement in our hearts and our lives. And far too often in, in our previous pre-COVID-19 lives, right, we were we might have just gone on, might have had a feeling and then just moved on. But to pause in this space to say, what is the feeling? And I'm actually be I'm going to be kind to that space. Like I'm going to say that actually was a significant need. Um, I was speaking with someone earlier today and the current reality of what they needed to talk with was a previous trauma, um, a car accident that they had had that they didn't, they didn't know that that's what they needed to talk about in light of COVID, but it was because of the experience that they had with this previous trauma that that was surfacing again. And so to answer your question, um, it needs to be in the context of some kind of relationship, okay? And that is a challenge when we're all in isolation, and yet we have phones, we have Zoom, we have Skype, we have these, you know, FaceTime, these places where we can connect with other people. Um, but even the people in your own home, just to stop for a second and say, hey, I am feeling something, I don't know what it is, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about 
the the feeling or the memory and i don't know why i'm having this but can you help me process that because otherwise uh, a memory is just a memory in our heads and it becomes part of a story when it is told to another person and it's at that point that we can begin to do something with it um so the the you asked a good question what do we do to attend to those stories we we tell them we tell the stories even if they don't feel relevant to today Right. We tell the stories like this came up for me. Let me tell you about what happened. That's good. I have a one question to tag onto that. Do you have any recommendations for people who are listening to the stories of how to hear it, if that makes sense, or how to respond? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, to be a good listener is to honor the story that is told for how it is told and when it is told. And so to, to not pass judgment on it, to not try to correct it, also not try to relieve it, right? That there is pain that is being shared. And so we're not, we're not, as a listener, we're not trying to help the person get away from the pain, but it is for us to join in the pain and say, I am so sad with you. I'm so sorry that happened rather than, well, you know, God is good or it'll be okay. Like those kinds of things to escape it are, are not as helpful to really honor the person who's sharing um, by letting the story be the story that's told and just be there. I think a great line that a, a friend, a fellow, a colleague of ours uses all the time is to just say, how would you like me to be with you right now? And to just stop there and let the person sharing actually communicate what they need in the sharing, mm-hmm. what they need from you as you listen and engage. Yeah. So, Beth and Chris, with all the wisdom that you have, do you have, like, the best marriage ever? (laughs) I mean, honestly, you guys are so calm, so wise. It's like, wow, (laughs) they must have the perfect marriage. You don't have to answer that, but it's just, that's a compliment to you, that you both have a lot of wisdom and knowledge. So, it's it's inspiring to see. Thank you. Thanks, Jesse. We have been married 25 years this year. Um, And I would just say, if there's any secret, it's just talking, talking. Mm -hmm talking, talking mm-hmm. through everything. Yeah. So on that, my brother-in-law, he is a police officer for the city of Phoenix. He's a part of the SWAT team. And recently there was an officer who was killed just a couple days ago mm-hmm. in Phoenix. Uh, the call was to a dom- domestic disturbance call. And when the officer showed up, um, one of the people involved in the domestic disturbance shot the officer, someone, and it was a commander who passed away. And so I was talking to my brother-in-law about it, and he was telling me that with this COVID-19 and isolation, social distancing, that they've seen a rise in domestic violence and domestic disturbance. So using your wisdom in, in marriage and in just in life in general, what would you say to someone who's listening who maybe there is tension building in their home? How do they deal with it? Yeah. Just, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because one of my big fears in the social distancing and isolation is that um, people are now mandated often to go back to abusive homes. And so I've been just really mindful of people in domestic violence situations, children who are in abusive situations, and now there is no escape. So, and there's no eyes on them and elsewhere. There's, right. There's no teachers seeing the kids. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no eyes. So I, I'm just really mindful. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, the, the thing I would say is that tensions are going to be higher 
Um, and they have been uh, for us. They have been for our family, even just in I'm trying to navigate my anxiety. Beth is trying to navigate hers. And we're all we're all just trying to figure this thing out. Like I said earlier, there's no playbook for marriage and in, in quarantine. Right. That book has not been written. So um, the, the, the thing that I would say is that usually the issue that is currently on the table that is causing the conflict is not really the issue that's on the table. That there's always something deeper. There's always going to be something driving the the conflict. So if we're in conflict about what's happening with homeschooling our kids right now when we were not supposed to be homeschooling our kids or conflict about the dishes or whatever it might be, it's not actually about the kids or the dishes. It's actually about some of the things that we've mentioned already. Like I I need someone to be bigger and stronger than I am, and I feel like I I, I need to you know, allow myself the space to, to step back and just be curious about my story, but I can't right now. And so I'm going to take it out on, on you. Um, so the issue on the table is not really the issue on the table and to give space and pause between the, the, the conflict and the response. Um, one of my favorite authors, his name is Victor Frankel. He says, um, that there is, um, between stimulus and response, there is a space, between stimulus and spot response, there is a space. And in that space, there is a choice. And in that choice, there is freedom. And so far too often, the space between the stimulus and the response is really, really small, really, really tight. Okay. But if we can slow ourselves down enough and recognize that the issue on the table is not the issue on the table, that increases the space between what happened and how I would respond. And it allows for me to actually have a choice that leads to more freedom in how I'm engaging with you than if I had just reacted right away. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, that, that would be the thing that I would say, you know, first the kindness is more necessary now than ever. And the, the stories are deeper and they're the, the, the bottom of the lake is getting stirred up. And so if we can have that sense of kindness towards, wow, I'm seeing a lot come out of you right now. Is uh, is that something you would like to talk about, right? It's not really about the kids. It's not really about the dishes. Okay. Do you have any thoughts on that, Beth? Just, you know, we would say this not in quarantine as well, but your safety, your personal safety is always paramount. And so when we're talking about a domestic violence situation, like what the example you shared her safety, his safety in that really in that home is more important. It's more important than quarantining. Mm -hmm. And so for anyone who is experiencing domestic violence, um, perhaps choosing to quarantine elsewhere mm -hmm. is a good move mm -hmm. right now. And yeah, needing to think about safety first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think your what you were saying in a non-domestic violence situation of just the stirring up, like it takes vulnerability to like share what you're actually feeling. I feel I have a couple of roommates and, you know, we're feeling the tension rise and it wasn't anything like big, but we kind of bumped up against each other and we had to, again, have compassion for the other person to be like, we're, we all handle this differently. And then you know, take some space and then come back and get to be like, Hey, this is actually what's going on. I have all this anxiety. I have all this fear. I'm don't have a job right now, you know? So we got to, but it took us being vulnerable to, you know, get to connect. So mm -hmm. I like how you said that we need to have kindness with ourselves to also let ourselves feel that. Cause for myself, I struggle to feel weak with feeling my emotions. 
And I don't think, and I, the world I grew up in was like that. And so for those people who feeling your emotions and feeling weak, I think what you're saying is really important for everyone to hear. So. That's such a great point, Sadie, because we really will not be empathetic with others or the degree to which we are empathetic with others is the degree to which we have compassion for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so embracing our own fear, our own anxiety, mm-hmm. our own emotional churning is the first step to being able to extend that to the person we're living with, right? And doing yeah. this quarantine with. So yeah. that's huge. Yeah. I think that question too that you asked yourself there is really important just to pause for a second and ask what's going on, mm-hmm. right? What's going on here? That is it, is it about my anxiety, my fears, my tensions, like all those things, or is it really, is it really about the dishes? It's not right. But to give yourself more, increase your space between that stimulus and response, just by merely asking like, what's going on, what's going on to yourself. And then even that generosity to the other person, like, Hey, you're, you're not normally like this, like what's going on. Um, and offer that kindness to that person. That would be hugely Mm -hmm. important. Yeah. And then what do you need? Like, do do I need to go run? Do you need to go run? Like go sit outside, go take some space, that kind of, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And what do you need from me Mm -hmm. to, to be able to ask as roommates or as couples or as parents and children, families, what do you need from me in this time? Mm -hmm. and somebody might not have an answer to that immediately but perhaps a few days later a reconvening of sharing i think this is what i need from you Mm -hmm. during this time Mm -hmm. okay on cnn the host chris cuomo he he announced that he has the coronavirus and i was watching him saying just his feelings about it and he said that one of the things that he's so upset about is that he got it. He, he heard everything like social distance, but he got it himself. And he said, he's upset that now he can't protect his family. He can't protect his daughters. He can't protect his wife. And so would you have any words of wisdom to someone who might be in that same feeling of a, they have the coronavirus and they're having to distance themselves from their family. And so there's the fear of one being ill and two, you can't actually be there for the people that you want to support and protect. So the way you're talking about, like, we need someone to protect us and to be there with us. Well, for him as like a husband and a father, he's upset at himself because he can't do that. So what would you say to someone who maybe are in those shoes or situations? Oh, that's, that is hard. You know, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, by distancing himself from his family in this moment is the best way that he can protect them. Right. That the most likely people that we will be infected by are the people that we live with if they get it. And so his protection is actually ramping up in this moment. Right. Now, he might not be able to be physically present and there is a loss in that for sure. Um, But so he but at the same time, he is protecting them by stepping out the the piece there with the loss. And I think that we don't do this really well as uh, as a culture is to name the loss and enter into a space of lament. Right. And that it is a lament that he can't be there. It is a significant loss and there is a distance, a time that he he won't have with them. And for him to name that and actually invite them into naming his family into naming that as well for the fears that they have and uh, the concerns or the, you know, whatever they're experiencing is also a means of protection. It's helping them protect their own hearts from 
from from themselves in in some ways because he's entered into naming the lament that he has of I can't be there. Uh, that that I think is an important place for us to to name those losses very very particularly in what it is that that we won't have as a result of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. I would you know if if that were me talking to someone like him I would bless his desire. Yeah. Um, pr- just give honor to even that being a desire that is that needs to be lamented, um, particularly as a father that. Um, for a father to desire to protect and be engaged needs to be. And then I might, I might say, you know, none of us know what story is unfolding for each of us through this. We are all being changed. Mm-hmm. And through the loss and lament, we're coming more closely in touch with our feelings, with the things that we appreciate, um, that we take for granted, um, and so what story will come to that family as a result of this is yet to be told, but we know it will happen. Mm-hmm. And there's goodness in that. And not to do a silver lining kind of a thing, but we will experience the goodness of God through this. We already are. And we have to somehow lift our eyes to that. It will be the only thing that gets us through. Mm-hmm. And that's not silver lining. That is the faithfulness and consistency of our God. Mm-hmm. Um, so what stories being written right now? Mm-hmm. But can we have eyes to see and notice what that might be? And I'm going to butcher it, so um, I, I. But I'm going to refer to a quote from Lord of the Rings, where Gandalf is talking about uh, it's not a matter of us deciding what times we're going to live in, but it's a matter of kind of who and how we will live in those times. Uh, and so, how he's going to go into quarantine and how the family uh, is going to go, you know, through this—that's what we get to decide. That's what we can control. We cannot control his being here or not being here, right? That's outside of our control. But what can we control? What can we influence and impact? It's how we're going to engage it, uh, both emotionally and personally, as well as like practically. Okay, now then, what will we do here? That all is so good. <laughs> Very well said. Thanks. I agree with the, your statement of uh, that. I've just been thinking of how God is doing. There is so much redemption in it. And that it's not, it's not ignoring the pain. It's not ignoring what's happening, but it's, yeah, it's that God is good. And through this, he is bringing about redemption and we don't really know what that's going to look like. And that's kind of what I've been clinging to. I'm like, man, it's going to be hard, but it's also going to be so good. And I think seeing a lot of it coming back, like we have to sit with our emotions more and like connect to ourselves into each other and Again, I just did a film on relationships, and I'm like, this is kind of what we need a lot, is to kind of refocus back onto what's important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a question. So my, I have three older sisters. They all have children. And she was telling me that yesterday, her littlest child, she's in kindergarten, uh, but she said she had just a really bad meltdown of just crying, and she said that we can't go anywhere, and... I interpret it as like her whole world has just been shook. She's not going to school. She's not seeing her friend. She's not seeing her teacher. She's very close to my mom. She's not seeing my mom during this time. My little Mm -hmm. niece. So as parents, what would you say to other parents who are having to deal with the 
complete shock to their children's world. What would you say to that? Mm-hmm. We have our own. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we're watching it in meltdowns in teenagers looks a little different than five-year-olds. But, um, yeah, all of our children are experiencing the same thing we're experiencing. They're just not as well equipped to verbalize it and explain it and work it out. And so as parents, I think we need to do that. We need to give them ways to express themselves. So for a five-year-old, it might be um, Play-Doh and and coloring and um, acting out, you know, in charades, something like that, right? For mm-hmm. for teenagers, it's writing. So we're concluding each night here at our house with a little writing prompt to a couple songs. And we're just sitting in quiet and silence. Um, we don't ever share what we write. But it's just a space to kind of conclude the day and contain all of the emotions. Um, we decided we have a, um, a home in our neighborhood that's really on the major cross-section streets, and our fence lines that street. And so we hung up a huge piece of – it was an old photography backdrop roll of paper that I had, and so it covered a good – half of our fence and we just invited the neighborhood to to use it as a graffiti wall um we wrote a couple questions what are you grateful for what will you pray for and um my office window my bedroom window overlooks the fence so all day long i just see these kids bike by stop take pictures write little things and we go out there at night to see what's been added and it's we've realized it's a way for the children of our neighborhood to lament and to interact and express themselves in a collective way that they no longer have in not being in school anymore, not being with their classmates, not having their teacher help to digest everything with them each day. But they're getting to do that on our fence. And it's it was not our plan, but it's what we've realized needed to happen for the kids in the neighborhood. And so I think just remembering that they're feeling all the same things we are. And mm-hmm. so how can we help them get that out and metabolize it with them mm-hmm. um, so that it's not bottled in there and it for, for older kids so that it doesn't lead to some real depression, uh, particularly if they're already prone to feeling lonely or bullied online or distanced already. It's all just magnified now. Mm-hmm. Um, so really giving them tools is really important right now. And I think that uh, we would say that parenting is not just protecting our children from pain. Um, in fact, it's it's more helping our children process pain. Uh, we want to protect them as much as we can. But with something like this, and in just in the world in general, but particularly in something like this, we cannot protect them from that pain. But it is our role to process that with them. And so for you, for you, for your sister to sit with the five-year-old and let her cry and scream and, and engage with the emotions and, and validate what she's feeling and saying, yes, this is lonely and yes, this is hard and yes, you miss your, your teacher and your friends and, um, and I do too. Like to, to validate that for her is helping her process the pain rather than stuffing it, um, away. And the other thing that we need to remember too as adults is that we we have other kind of milestones in our lives and our journeys where there have been traumas that we have navigated. Our kids don't have those as much as we do, right? Like 9-11 was the last major kind of global uh, and 
national crisis that that we walked through, um, our, our kids were not alive. They don't have that memory that we have of like, okay, we walked through crisis and we came back. Yeah. And there there was good and that and that was hard, but they they don't have that. And so this is their first experience of that. And so for us to give enough space and attentiveness to them now will help them be that adult later for their kids. So so how are you both handling this? Just if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing just your own personal experiences. How are you taking this? Well, I, for me, I'll start. And that is, um, I have a personality that at least at first is muscle up and power through. Okay. And so for me in the beginning of the unfolding of all this, it was like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to navigate this? What is this going to look like? And, and really in the first couple of days, um, kind of muscled through and made some significant movement for us, for our family, for our team and, uh, and all that. And then, um, so that, that was my initial response. That's just my personality. And in the midst of that, then slowly began to realize like, Oh, I I'm getting thin, <laughs> right? Not physically thin, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> quarantine is not good for that. But, um, but emotionally thin, and so I needed to slow down. I needed to be attentive. I needed to make sure that my my news intake was was more minimized. That my time in leadership, that the things that I had to take care of myself if I was going to continue to lead in work and life and business and family and all those things. So my initial response, in all honesty, was like to power up. And then I was like, okay, I need to actually pull back a little bit from that if I'm going to make it for the next, you know, however long it's going to be. Um, and that's your story. Yep. Your story is from a ch- from childhood. You powered up and took care of everybody. Mm-hmm. So that was a familiar path for yes. you. Familiar response. Mm-hmm. For me, my my story has always been related to financial instability and fear around that. And so that is what I have battled the most is fearing the complete economic collapse of the globe (laughs) generally and specifically what does that mean for us as I watch our college savings dwindle and you know worry about our our business and all of that so it's bringing up for me familiar uh stories Mm -hmm. um paths that I have walked as well um I I don't fear getting sick that's just not even on my radar ironically it's it's the financial ramifications and it has everything to do with story. So that's been there for me and I'm battling that as well by limiting the news. Um, just trying to book in the day, checking in, shutting down the day, but not living in it all day long as I did the first week or two. And then I would say also it's been extreme loss. So many things that we were looking forward to um, this spring, some pretty, epic trips that I was getting to go on that felt like they were God opportunities um, to really live into who I am. Um, And so to have those just cancel one after another uh, has been just sad. So I've had to just let myself grieve and, and lament and bless the desire that those came Mm -hmm. out of. Um, you know, we, people are talking about this is exposing 
truly who we are and what we hold on to and value the most. And so you could say, what is what does that mean? I value traveling over, you know, my elderly in-laws health. Is that what we're saying? Or I, I value money um, because that's all I can think about. But I think really it's it's also exposing our deepest desires. And there's something beautiful in desiring to um see and explore what God has for me in some of those places and stories he wanted me to be a part of. And there's something beautiful about wanting to be stable um, and be able to provide for our family and others. So living into that fear and not judging it and not judging myself for having those fears, but really naming, God, those are desires given by you. I'm going to bless that Mm -hmm. and I'm going to mourn because it's still really, really hard. Um, so that's, those are a couple of the ways that I have been walking through this these last few weeks. Mm-hmm. And so for you both, if you wouldn't mind sharing, where does your faith kick in in the midst of this? Cause you're talking like, this is kind of a dark season for many, like around the globe. I was watching some footage in Italy. People have run out of money. They run out of food and, uh, the news is reporting they're starting to put raids on supermarkets and mm-hmm. they're, they're in the streets crying because they have no food for their children. And so I'm amazed that just around the world, we're all like experiencing some sort of loss. And so for you, like, where does your faith kick in in the midst of this? Mm-hmm. You know, I go first in first in Corinthians where Paul is talking about the God of all comfort. And as he's talking about that, the way that he talks about that is that that God comforts us in our afflictions rather than takes us out of our afflictions. And so for me, the idea of the withness of God, the, the coming alongside God um, is, is the one that enters into death. He enters into the human experience. He comes into being with us. That for me is uh, the core of really what the, the Bible, the gospel is all about. So uh, my faith kicks in, not in God, will you get us out of here, but will you join us in here? Will you come into this place where I, you know, where Beth is talking about into the financial fears, into the, into the fears of will, what will I do to feed my family? It's, it's not the first time there has been uh, a generation, a, a time on the earth when there has been lack of access to food. I mean, in fact, in most of the world, uh, there's lack of access to food. And so some of us are experiencing solidarity in ways that we haven't been able to experience before. Um, that to me is the activation of my faith. The the other part, as I shared about like what my reaction was to kind of muscle up mm-hmm. is that um, I need to, I need to continually remind myself that I am not the source. I am not the source of life. Only one is the source of life. And if he chooses for me to live today, then I will live today. Right. And that um, that I need to look to him. I can't make it happen for me, for others, any any more than the impact that I might may or may not have. Right. It's it's he is the source of life. And though I might have a big container, he's the one that fills it with the living water um, that that's where I fall back into and where my faith is activated um, and come to the Lord's throne of just saying, hey, I. Uh, my life is in you and for you and by you. And I have my being, I, Chris, am because you are. And that every part of my being is reliant on your 
your existence. Um, so if you choose for me to have food today, I will. I was just going to say, when my faith falters, um, I am bolstered by believers. And so, really, this sounds weird, but there's I, I'm never more encouraged by the response of believers around the world when there's time of persecution and times of crisis and disaster and to see the body respond is is a reminder to me that God is real mm-hmm. and exists and his goodness prevails and it prevails through the work of his people and that to me is is the bolstering of faith mm-hmm. when I begin to waver mm-hmm. And it's been beautiful to watch. Yeah. What, what I was going to say was I interviewed a pastor last week and he said something, which was a great reminder to me. He said that in the Our Father prayer, um, it says, give us this day our daily bread. And he was saying to take it one day at a time that like, give us this day our daily bread. Like God promises this day we will have enough. And so for me, when I start to feel that, okay, this might be months. It's like, you know what? I'm going to take today and I want to be filled with light today. I want to encourage someone today because today is really like what we can handle, you know, what we can see, what we can grasp. And so I like what you're saying, Beth, about believers. It was encouraging to me to talk to a pastor. I was interviewing him for a podcast, but it was like, hey, that's really good. Like I need your wisdom. And so even for you both and sharing your wisdom, it's encouraging to me. I'm, just, I, I like uh, Sadie's responses because um, she. I told Sadie that one of her gifts is her ability to fill, and so I can sense that she's feeling what you're saying and she's elaborating on it. And so I know that if we're blessed, so many others are going to be blessed by you. And so mm-hmm. if I can just give a word of encouragement to you both, that in the moments when you do start to doubt or fear, God is working through you. Like God is mm-hmm. working through you, and that is such like an awesome thing to be able to be used by God in the midst of a pandemic. And so just like a word of encouragement, Beth, when you do start to fill down, God is using you and he's using your wisdom. He used your hashtag Christian counselors. Like he didn't know that I was at a, you know, stock Instagram and see who I could find. And here we are. So just, I hope that can give you a word of encouragement that God is using you even in the midst when you might not feel like, uh, I don't see him, but he is definitely there with you. It does. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah to tag onto that too. Yeah. It's been so encouraging to hear your story. And I know that, yeah, sometimes when you're in it, you're like, what is going on? And even though you guys have all the wisdom and knowledge and it's still you're human. And so hearing your stories is so encouraging. And even the art thing that you guys didn't know what it would turn into, it gives me hope and inspiration to get creative and to see how I can, you know, support my nieces and nephews and support my friends with kids and and just my friends in general to express ourselves. So thank you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess my, my final question for you would be for people listening, how can they be praying for you? Hmm. That's thank you for mm-hmm. asking that. <laughs> um, for me, it feels like in the work that I do in counseling and in holding space for uh, pastors and ministers and congregations and individuals, right? 
that that my my days are full of everyone else's anxiety and everyone else's trauma responses to where we are. So for me personally, it would be to that that there would be a, a kind of a purging at the end of every day to return back to the true source that I was able to offer life today of the living water that has been given to me and that I could then as a human can end my day just as a man and go be with my own family um, to, to remind myself, like I, I need this worse as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So that, that would be for me and what I hope at this time. Mm -hmm. I think we are poised for this as a, as a counseling center, um, like in terms of the things that we were already working on and Mm -hmm. building. And so there's a sense of how are we to how are we being called to steward well what we've built and what we can offer to really continue to meet specific needs. Um, so just praying that we would have the discernment in in that in some of those decisions and reach the people that that we can best serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sadie, do you have anything you want to add or ask or anything before we end? Not right now. Just thank you guys again for sharing. It's very encouraging. Yes. Honestly, I, I, I was telling Sadie beforehand, I don't know them. You know, we've never spoke on the phone or anything. I don't know how it's going to go. But I feel a sense of peace But then in just hearing you speak and hearing the advice and the encouragement. And so, like, not, mm-hmm. not to harp back on what I was saying, but God is using you both. That is such, like, a wonderful thing to know that God is actually, like, pick Beth and Chris, Chris and Beth to be used in the midst of this time. And so mm-hmm. as you walk forward, even in the days of discouragement, on the days, Chris, when you're feeling like I need uh, an outlet, like mm-hmm. you're, you're, you said you power through. And, and so just a word of encouragement, God isn't going to give you anything that you can't handle. And mm-hmm. I will be praying personally that mm-hmm. he gives you, he gives you that outlet to be able to just release and so that way you can be there for Beth and for your family. And so I hope I hope for people who listen to this podcast that I hope I know they will be praying for you both. So thank you both for being part of it. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting us. Good to be here.